stay calm, don't panic. You got this. Hey guys, welcome to the final podcast. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Yes, it's our final podcast of season one of the Don't Panic Podcast. Can you believe it? I cannot. No, I, I really can't either. This has been a fantastic uh, whirlwind uh, kind of first season. Didn't know what to expect. We've had s- such great response from people and great conversations that have come out of all these interviews. And um, I feel like we've got to meet really great people and hear great yeah. stories and just see what um, kind of what's out there, you know. So um, we're we're really we're really thankful for you guys as as, a, as an audience of, of uh, sticking with us through this first season, and we're you know, very hopeful that in the fall we'll be launching this thing again with another season. So, you know, if there's is there if there's more um, topics or interviews, you're like, hey, this would be great. I want to hear about this. Um, obviously, we didn't fix teenagers this season. Oh, there's so much more to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we tried, but it just didn't happen. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot more to talk about and we have our own ideas, but if there's more that you would uh, want to hear about, um, you know, tell us on our Facebook page, on our, uh, our Twitter page, you know, just give us some feedback as to what you would want to hear. Exactly. And we have an excellent interview lined up today. Mm-hmm. I feel like I say this every time, but this one was one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, Beverly Ross, who's the executive director and counselor at Wise County Christian Counseling, um, came in and just speaks um, with such passion and emotion, and it's great about grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that can be a hard topic to talk about mm-hmm. and just to not be just kind of like dredging through grief, but she mm-hmm. does a great job of speaking hope into grief as well. We actually got to go up to her office in Decatur, which isn't super far for us, but it was, uh, and we mentioned this in the first part of the podcast, it was our one of our very first training locations where we trained uh, facilitators for Teen Lifeline groups uh, out of our town. And, and that's actually one of our strongest areas of service right now in the Decatur mm-hmm. area of these uh, youth pastors and social workers and uh, counselors who are going into the schools and doing great work. Um, and that's kind of where that all started. So that was kind of special for us to be there uh, with her. And like you said, she really, she, she brought it home. She really did. Yeah. And so really get ready for this interview, especially if you have teenagers who are dealing with grief in some way. Um, it, it might not just be, might not be a, a death. It might be a transition. It might be something that some kind of loss that they're going through. How can you best uh, help, help the student that is in your life? So she really covers that. Exactly. And just a couple more housekeeping deals before we kick it off to Beverly. Um, but we just wanted to take a moment to thank LCU, Lubbock Christian University, mm-hmm. um, for all that they've done for the support of us and the podcast. Um, hopefully you've been sticking around to the end of all of our episodes. We have little, sometimes they're little Easter eggs. Is that what they're called? Like hidden? Yeah. Yeah. Easter, hidden yeah, secrets, yeah, whatever, uh-huh. at the end too, after the Lubbock Christian University promo. But just want to, Thank them, um, and thank yeah, they, you for listening. Yeah, and they, they made this possible, and we're, we're very, very thankful all the way through. Um, not many podcasts have a a sponsor on their very first season. Exactly. <laughs> so we feel very fortunate uh, for that. So without further ado, uh, thank you for listening, and uh, here's Beverly Ross. Panic, you will not. Beverly, how are you? I'm good. Good. I'm good, thank you. Good, I'm so glad. To be here in this room, this room, I was telling Carly, this has some significance for us. This was, I think, our second training we ever did with Teen Lifeline was in this room. Was it really? I think so. I think so. And that was... That was before me. Yeah, it was before Carly. Before and so there there weren't as many nice um, 
elements to it as she brings to our training. It was just me and Ricky. Yeah. Good (laughs) snacks and uh, much better looking handouts and communications. And so it's, so anyways, it's kind of cool to be back in this room. So we're at the wise County Christian counseling center and Decatur, Texas with Beverly Ross and Beverly is here to help us talk about uh, grief and teenagers. So how are you? I'm good. I'm good. And let me tell you what, that's, this room takes me back to a sweet memory with you guys because Wise County has loved and embraced Team Lifeline. We love the program. We believe in the program. And I love what you guys are doing as far as expanding it into podcast. Wisdom and discernment, my friends. It's been Thank great. You. Thank it's, you. It's an honor to have you with us. So real Thank quick, you. tell us a little bit about Wise County Christian Counseling, what you guys do here, your role in, in, in this organization. Just before we get into this. Oh, I'm so, so proud of what we have here. We are a full counseling group. Uh, we have people from play therapy to geriatrics. We do everything. But what separates us from other counseling offices just around the Metroplex is that we do everything on a sliding scale. We in no way believe that pain is bound by how much a person makes. And we want to be able to offer professional counseling services for people who can full well afford it, but also for people who can't. You know, a couple of months ago, we had a high school student that drove himself over here. He was dealing with a particular very strong grief on his part, drove himself here and said, I've got no money. I've got my lunch money that I say, but I need help right now. And we were able to make a few phone calls, get a counselor over here, a counselor open and to see. And so we love what we get to do here on a sliding scale. Mm-hmm. And this community is generous and provides us with that opportunity. I do. So yeah. it's really awesome. Yeah. That's great. Well, obviously we can tell you're passionate about what you do with Wise County Christian Counseling, but also why are you so passionate about this topic of grief? You know what? I think I've been passionate about grief for a long time, not really even knowing that my own road would take such a grief journey. I am very passionate about helping people in darkness find the light of Jesus, find the light of hope, whatever that may look like for them, the light of Jesus on on a dark path. Taught grief workshops on the other side of the world in Kenya. But then all of a sudden, in February 2010, I found myself in my own grief journey as my oldest child, my only daughter, 31, uh, died after a 19 battle, 19 day battle. She was diagnosed with the flu and really she had group A strep. And she was septic before we realized, uh, the mistake that had been made. And at that time, my oldest granddaughter was nine. And Malaya just turned 16 last week. And so I am, to say I'm passionate about helping teens in grief would be an understatement. My very life breath depends on it Mm -hmm. because I want people to help her and to be with her and to stand with her. And it has lit me up to help other teenagers walking a dark road. Um, think it changes the way we do the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. And so I want to stand with teenagers, not just stand. I want to stand well with mm-hmm. teenagers walking a dark path to give them hope for eternity, hope for life. Uh, it makes a difference in the way they'll do the rest of their life. So I am very passionate about that, that road. Okay. So how we talk about grief, I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a few of the podcasts we've done, we've asked our guests to kind of define the terms a little bit. And when people talk about grief, oftentimes the five stages come up Mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and it's almost a pop culture thing now where it's, it's gone through in some way. And once you talk about the the five stages a little bit, is it a thing? Is it helpful? Is there a better way we could talk about it? I do think it was written 
to be an aid, a resource. Uh, Kubler-Ross wrote the five stages of grief really to help people in what we call anticipatory grief. She wrote the five stages to help people that had a diagnosis, a terminal diagnosis. And it get when you walk the road of grief, what that means is somebody walked over and like turned off the light switch. You know, your brain cannot function the way we normally function. Brain just turns to mush is the way I put that for people walking the road of grief. And so Kubler-Ross wrote those five stages just to give people an idea of what was coming. But we have taken that in our desperation to put something concrete around the concept of grief which it's so not concrete, we've taken those five stages and tried to use those as, as five steps. Once you go through denial, you'll never go back there. That is so false. Uh, once you go to b- bargaining, you'll never try to bargain again. That's false. We're all over the place in grief. Grief is the process of integrating unknown and disliked information, but it is always the result of something you loved. Mm -hmm. You're not going to grieve something you didn't love. Mm -hmm. And so we have to all decide if we want to take the risk at love because grief may be the result and not for whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. We've got to decide that. So these five stages, I think, definitely give us a springboard to have talk, but they are not meant to be Okay, you've done this one, now you'll do this one. Mm-hmm. Now grief is complicated. Grief is complex and we're we're trying any tools we can find to make it make sense to right. us because it just feels so weird. So, we feel so scattered. Right. Mm-hmm. So don't use it as a no, checklist. Never. For yourself. I have clients that feel a lot of guilt. And then sometimes if an, if an adult in our desperation to help wants to put these on teens, it totally confuses them. We're, we're doing it out of goodness. We want something that was confusing to make sense. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what we've got to learn to do in the human journey, we're going to live through some things that absolutely don't make sense. Mm-hmm. Right. So kind of going off of that, how do teenagers deal with grief that's unique and maybe even different yeah. from the way an adult would grieve? That is a great question. I'm going to get into a couple of seconds of biology here, but teenagers don't have what we call that front part of the brain that's right behind your forehead, your prefrontal cortex, mm-hmm. and that's the part where wisdom and discernment happens. That part of the brain is not even fully developed till about 22 to 24. And so they don't have that part yet to think through things like we would hope that most adults can. Teens are fighting their way to be unique and fighting their way to fit in. And we all are hardwired for love and belonging. And so they're trying to figure out how can we fit in. They're trying to find their way in life. They're trying to uh, absorb even new information because we want our grieving children to go back to school as quickly as possible. It's impossible to learn while you're walking a road of grief. Mm -hmm. You can't absorb new information, so it messes up their schooling. Uh, For me, I could not read the entire time Jenny was in the hospital I really could not read, and I'm an avid. I mean, I go around with a book in my hand all the time. Mm-hmm. I couldn't absorb one word till approximately eight weeks after death. Hmm. And yet we send our kids back to school before that. Also, in your teenage years, there's so many moments to celebrate. And I think grief, for whatever the root of the grief was, it changes the way we're able to celebrate some of those key seasons, a key moment of of life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I do think grieving as a teen 
Uh, grieving as a teen is a difficult road. It's mm-hmm. a difficult path. So how would a teenager deal negatively with grief? Uh, you know, yeah, be, with, with, th- with things being so much different mm-hmm. um, than an adult, um, what, would be ne- what would be some negative ways they would? Well, this would be a lot. I think adults have to make this decision, too. But I think hopefully because of our prefrontal cortex development, we make some different choices. But Brene Brown does work saying that when we have a pain, a life pain, we have a big choice to make. Are you going to numb that pain because you don't know what to do with it? Or are you going to learn? Are you basically going to kind of go shopping for what will comfort your soul? Mm-hmm. So you you can numb the pain or you can do what comforts your soul. And in a Definitely to numb it is much quicker mm-hmm. to numb the pain. Just act like it didn't happen, uh, whether that is eat eat more, n- numb it. Some, particularly females, but now more and more males are going into the whole eating disorder thing because they can control that. So just an effort to control some arena of their life. Uh, sometimes we have acting out. Teens will begin to act out sexually just to do something different. Right. And claim that identity, which, ah, oh, that just breaks your heart, to claim that identity instead of self-care. Sometimes they turn to dr- drugs, drinking, anger can even be a number, which that's hard for me to think of. Anger can numb, but anger does numb pain and makes it look like it's not there. If I can throw a big enough fit, then I don't want to lay on the floor and cry. Mm-hmm. Uh Sometimes just to pull in and quit talking and mm-hmm. act like the pain doesn't exist. Social media, television, just playing games on your phone can all be things that numb. And I think those are very attractive and easy for our teens. Rather, what we've got to begin to model ourselves as adults and begin to explore in our world is how do you comfort your soul? What would be choices to do with that and helping teens find ways to do that in healthy ways? I would even think, you know, just being in that stage of life it'd be much easier to choose those because you're, you're, you know, it's, it's such a, you know, if you're in identity formation anyways, as a, as a, as a student, you know, those options are already there and, Mm -hmm. and, and to be grieving and going through that time, it'd be so much easier to say, I'm going to act out sexually or I'm going to do something to hurt myself or any of those things. Cause those things are all, you know, so readily available. That's right. And those are more accepted in the teen world than grief. Absolutely. So it's easier to act out on those mm-hmm. than than to feel the pain because that's not what we know how to do even as adults very well, but particularly as teenagers. Well, it would mask it too. I mean, because yes. yeah, that's just what I expect mm, from you. Good. Yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. We expect teenagers to act out. So right, right. Yeah, and yeah. So as we t- kind of talk through what this looks like and what it can even negatively look like for a teenager, what can we say or do? Um, to help a grieving teenager, I think especially as Christians, when we go to funerals or when we talk to teenagers who are grieving, we feel like we have to have the perfect thing mm. to say. But what advice would you give in that moment? I think I've said this on every question y'all have asked so far, but let me say this right here on this one. That is a great question. I just love it. I love your questions because I think this is so hard. I work with a lot of youth ministers, youth pastors, that we don't know what to do with this one. In our world of the grief road, we had people stop talking to us because they didn't know what to do. Exactly what you said. They want to do it perfectly. And the first thing I want to say here, and maybe if you don't remember anything else, from this podcast, it's give yourself permission to do it imperfectly. Mm-hmm. If you do it imperfect, and even with all, I mean, I have, I am, 
I read on grief. I study grief. I pray about grief. I walk the road of grief. And frequently, I have to circle back and clean up something I said to someone else in grief. And so it's just, we're not going to do it perfectly. But great question. And I think we need to, and I hope I can make this make sense, but I think we need to become their students. We need to ask them and not make assumptions on what it's like for them. Ask them, what do you need? What is it like? Teach me what it feels like to be you right here. Teach me what would you like to do at Thanksgiving? You know, how would you like to hold space? I mean, there's like 10 different choices that we, do you do an empty chair? Do you light a candle? Do you include your loved one that that's deceased in, in prayer? You know, what does that look, but find out from the team, what would it look like for you? How can we help you with that? Don't assume and don't belittle what they say to you. Even if they haven't gone to the depth that you think would be appropriate there, what I know I do in my own life because I read people's eyes really well, is I may start out soft in discussing my grief, but what that's really doing is putting my big toe in the water and wanting to know, can I trust you with what I'm about to share about my grief? So hold space with them uh, and what they want to share about small things so that they'll build trust in, in you, that they can trust you with some of those bigger things, whoever you are in their world. I think one thing that we as adults don't do very well, and I certainly don't mean to be picking on us. I think we do it as well as we can. It's okay. Is we don't, thank you. Right. We don't allow space for maybe even ourselves to wrestle and ask really hard questions. Mm-hmm. And teens don't know that boundary yet. Mm-hmm. And so they want to wrestle and they want a place that they can ask some really hard, hard questions. Mm-hmm. Um, some things that I would say not to do that I think go along with that is I think we've got to watch our language. We've got to watch our phrasing. God is frequently blamed for things that God didn't do. And we've got some pet phrases that we use. Uh, I know one thing that we were told is God just needed another angel in his choir. Our daughter sang. Um, God has a purpose for everything. Everything happens on purpose, on God's purpose. Everything is God's will. It was just God's timing. And while there may be some truth, or there is truth in some ways to all of that, what Scripture would tell us is that not everything that happens while our feet walk on dirt is God's will. But what it also says is that God can take everything that happens to us. In Ephesians 1, Paul says this, and he can bring it into the conformity of his will. I also believe, and I know we're going to get into a moment in other griefs that kids feel, but I think we need to watch our phrasing with how we even say the word blessed. Frequently, we tie. Oh, I know I'm taking such a risk here, but I think this is important enough for me to be brave and it. take a Go risk here. Um, I think frequently the way we use the word blessed, blessing, God blessed, is uh, when we get more of God's muchness, which means when I get my way. Mm-hmm. And what we tie to that is God's love, God's favor, and God's presence. When when we do that so hard, then the flip side of that, what kids hear, what I hear, is that if I don't get my way, it means God doesn't love me, he wasn't here, and he didn't give me favor. Example, two little girls, moms are in the hospital. After three weeks, 18, 19 days, 
one little girl gets to drive in the car home with her mommy, gets to ride in the car going home with her mommy. Another little girl doesn't, who's blessed. Frequently, we would say, God bless the one who got her way and got healed. But what Ephesians 1 says in verse 3 is, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so from that angle, what I really believe and what I want my granddaughter to know and what I want teens to know is God is giving you exactly what you need to walk the road you're walking. Just because bad things happen, it does not mean that God loves someone else more. Mm-hmm. He's giving us what we need. Example, when you see a, a house blown away, tornado, whatever, somebody says, God bless me, my house stood. Well, what does that mean for the next door neighbor? Mm-hmm. We just have to be careful in what we're speaking to our children about God's presence. Don't give them pity either. Really be aware with grieving teenagers that we don't say things like, bless your heart, or um, that's the worst thing that I can even imagine. We stand, while we can't identify with every, every like external experience teenagers have, we can all identify. We walk arm in arm with the common link of, of human pain. And so what they need to hear is something like, me too. I know what it's like to really hurt. I know what it's like to feel pain. Doesn't mean I feel exactly what you feel, but I know pain. If we cannot not pity them, but join in that that road and never ever ever ignore. I remember my granddaughter speaking once and she said, "I wanted to talk about my mom. I didn't want the only thing we talked about to be her death." I mean, that, that we're still able to hold space. Frequently, we just ignore a one in grief because we don't know what to do. It takes a lot of courage and bravery to stand with someone in pain, to sit beside someone in pain, and even to lay on the floor beside someone in pain, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. But what I'm hoping that even this podcast will help people do is gather the bravery and courage to step into what's uncomfortable and let's do it. Mm-hmm. Let's walk beside people in pain. Let's sit with people in pain and let's lay on the floor beside people who, who are in pain and struggling. Right. Even if that's sitting and not saying anything at all. I kind of hear Absolutely. you saying you don't have to have the perfect words, um, but even just being there is better than not saying anything at all. Even to say, I have no clue what to say because they don't know what to say either. I don't know what to say, but I just want to be with you. We call that in grief work, the ministry of presence. I'm just going to be with you. And in those early days, what people did for us in the ministry of presence is they reminded us when we were feeling so abandoned in the spiritual realm, what people's presence did is it reminded us that we were not. And I love that. I love that. That we're just, yes, that we're able just to sit and be, just be, hold space. You don't have to talk. Our brains, grievers' brains cannot absorb a bunch of words. And so just to be with us, be with us. I'm glad to hear that too, because that's often when I feel in those situations, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> you know, and but I also don't, I want them to know that I'm not, I'm not just purpose of being quiet. I, I, I don't know, but I want to be here. And that's the best that I, you know, this is what I have to give that's in right. this moment. And, yeah. and, but I, lo- I love that you, you bring courage into that, that, you know, for those covering the griever, it, it, it does take courage and to, to, to step in and, you know, cause you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know 
what to say, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I love that. So what, so what are, what are some signs that, that maybe a teenager would need help from a professional? Um, and I don't know if that's, they all need help or is is there a point where, you know, we should probably go talk to someone and, and, you know, get some extra resources, extra support, um, for a student who's in, who's in grief. I, uh, I love, I love dialoguing about that. I think the number one time we need to waste no time in getting a child to a professional, a teenage to a professional is when they say that they want to. If they say they want to talk to some, someone, a professional, do it today. Make the call, get an appointment. Also, when, um, those numbing strategies that we talked about earlier, when life seems to be saturated with those, when you see a child that becomes stuck in acting out, we want to get to a professional. Now, frequently what I do as a professional is I will want to talk to the adult first mm-hmm. just to see if I, I can help them help the child, if the child is resistant to come. Uh, but what I do as a professional, the first few sessions, maybe even two or three, depending on the child's trustability, is I just want to build trust with them, that, that they can trust me to talk about it. But I say make the call when those acting out strategies I also believe that when signs of depression become strong, that sleeping too much, overeating, pulling away socially, if they have lasted for approximately three to six months, we want to step in at that point and get professional. I want to speak into this for two seconds. Grieving and depression are not the same. Grief is a natural, from my viewpoint, it is a God-given We are hardwired to grieve when we have a life loss that we don't know how to assimilate in our brain yet, how to accommodate in our brain yet. But depression is not, it's when it becomes not natural anymore. It's when we're stuck. And it may be one fine point because typically if a child is grieving, this isn't a hundred percent, but frequently if the child is grieving, other people, the adults in their world are in their own grief journey too. And so sometimes the child will shut down their own grief in an effort to protect their adults in their world. Mm -hmm. And so it may be where an outside professional comes in handy right there Mm -hmm. to help give them, give them some different tools of someone not in their pain right there in that, that leg of the journey Mm -hmm. that we're able to offer some help with that. And what would you say, um, parents or anyone who works with a teenager should do if a teen just does not want to talk about it, they're not opening up. Do we give them space or how does that look for adults in their life? How much I wish we could have a formula for that. I'd love to have a formula for that. I think that uh, we we provide safety for them, meaning, you know, if they say something, we come back immediately with tell me more about that. Not ever a really or I can't believe you just said that. You know, we kind of tell me more about that. I want to know more. We create safety with that. Okay, again, we will never, ever, ever pass on to anybody else, something you yourself do not own. Mm -hmm. And so if you aren't comfortable talking about it, or if you're not brave enough to be okay doing something you're uncomfortable with, the the children aren't going to either. Teenagers aren't going to figure that either. So I think we model that. We may model, oh, girl, I so don't want to talk about Thanksgiving. My heart's already aching knowing the holidays are coming. Mm -hmm. But let's have this conversation for just a minute. These are some choices, you know, so we're kind of, I'm modeling don't like this, wish we didn't have to talk about this, but here we are. I'm modeling it. How how can we think through that? 
Don't make the assumption either. I, I dialogue about this with parents of grieving teens. Uh, don't make the assumption that our teenagers aren't talking to anyone if they're not talking to you. Because frequently our, our teens are wanting to protect us. So they may have a teacher at school they're talking to. You can even go talk to the school counselor without telling the parent. So it could be that they're talking to someone and just not to you. So ask some questions with that. I also beg parents, check out the resources. Here in Decatur, we have used Teen Lifeline, you guys, and we have a grief group at our high school. Mm-hmm. And so it's constant. It is the biggest and the steadiest the most foundational group we have going because grieving teens want to be with other grieving teens. And not one of them have ever walked in there the first day and gone, so glad to be here. But once they hear one teenager tell their story, they're Mm -hmm. like, are you kidding me? Me too. I get it. That's what I thought too. And so we check out what are the resources? What what does my school have? What what can I do? Warm place, uh, gr- grief works. If you're over in the DFW, it, but several major cities and even something like Wise County <laughs> will have resources for grieving teens. So we check those out and do some offerings with that. Okay, so this might I think this could be a com- complete podcast in and of itself. And mainly, I'm I'm just really curious about grief and situations that aren't uh, traumatic or, you know, death related that could be just things that students are going through, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and I, you know, and I think this could be for adults too, obviously, but you know, sure. what kind of things does a student go through that would, would bring them into some level of grief? Uh, what changes um, circumstances, those kinds of things. You know, what we absolutely cannot afford to do is compare pain. Mm-hmm can't afford that. And that shuts people down. Like with me bearing a child, a lot of times other people with other pains don't want to talk to me because they'll say, my pain isn't as bad as yours. And we can't afford that. Mm -hmm. For a teenager, pain is pain. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it really is. We've got to do that. But of course, I mean, as I've I've spoken different places and brainstormed with, with kids and with adults, some things we know that are grief producers, is what I call them, Mm -hmm. is divorce can be a grief producer. Uh, a move, a tra- transition, moving from one high school to another, moving from one middle school to another can be a grief producer. Uh, a breakup of someone you might, you know, thought you would be with longer or found your identity in can be a grief producer. Broken dreams. I wanted to make the team. And we go, really? And I'm like, oh, yeah. If mom and dad made the teams and played college ball, or mom or dad, and then the kid doesn't, and they've been groomed for that their whole lives, that can produce a grief. Mm-hmm. One that we don't talk a ton about are um, an injury to our body, particularly for a sports person. I work with a lot of college freshmen that had an injury and dreams got, got dashed. Mm-hmm. So it means a whole different direction in life. One that we uh, don't discuss a lot either is that grief begins sometimes when the diagnosis hits. We have got to hold space for diagnosis. Uh, 
the cancer diagnosis, an autoimmune disease diagnosis. Sometimes when that happens to a parent, the kid goes into grief mm-hmm. because they know life is changing. Yeah. Diagnosis yeah. changes life. We know life is changing, but we don't know what to do with it because it's unknown what it's going to look like. And so we're not really sure how, how to handle that or walk that road either and don't have the language to do that with because mom and dad are both struggling with the diagnosis that mm-hmm. happened or even your own diagnosis. One thing I never want to answer this question without addressing for two seconds is sometimes when we've done something really wrong, we've got to hold space for the wake-up call, for the grief that that guilt will produce. Hmm. And that can be a grieving moment for hmm. a teen. Of, I think it's really important that we hold space with the grief of that. If not, the behavior will continue. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to have some language to diagnose with that grief, too, although it seems a little different for us because most of the griefs we've been talking about we didn't have control over. Mm-hmm. And that one, it looks like we do, but maybe not. Maybe we made a huge mistake once, but let's hold space for us to grieve what I would call our own sin and move through that and pass that too. Well, it dialogue. almost sounds like it, all the situations where, you know, whether it's your choice or not, is where everything changes Absolutely. after that moment, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, we, in, in our support groups, we have a week where we, you know, we kind of look at it in context of a story that, you know, your major characters have something that happens to them that changes things forever. Excellent. And, yeah. and, um, and, but all of our students we work with, whether for good or bad, have had those things happen mm-hmm. and um, to help them address those. And I think, I think it's, that's a good, that's a good tool to kind of overlay to help understand, you know, if, if a student is, I think even, you know, eighth graders going to ninth grade, you know, sure. leaving middle school behind and going into this world of, yeah. of high school where it might not be to, a, you know, you can't compare pain, obviously, but there's a big change and nothing's yes. ever going to be the same, you know, different friends, different teachers, all that kind of stuff. We hear that a lot that ninth graders struggle, you know, mm-hmm. be, because, of, because of that time of life mm-hmm. for sure. So, well, and when that move coincides with big brother or sister going away to school, oh, yeah, I've heard, I've heard that one too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. it's hard. They've got a lot going yeah. on. Yeah, just one thing. Right. Yep. So, moving along, what are some positive coping behaviors that, we can either look for that we can help encourage teenagers with of maybe you should try this. Yeah. You know, I was so desperate to do this in my own life that I immediately wanted to f- put a formula to something. And this is the formula I've locked in on. It worked for me. It works for me. And it works for other people that I know and love. And the acrostic that I use is PERS, P-E-R-S. P is physical. E is emotional, R is relational, and the S is spiritual. And then now that I'm six months, I mean, six years away from my my grieving event, I've grieved the whole time, but I've added a C at the very end, which you could add to any one of the other four, but it's get in touch with my creativity. And that's helped me in, in the grief road. But going back to the P, the physical is exercise. Exercise is a natural anti-anxiety and uh Heightened anxiety goes along with the grief journey, Mm -hmm. particularly for me. I was diagnosed with some post-traumatic stress from the things that I had seen in the hospital. And so I needed to exercise a lot at the beginning. What we say from a mental health perspective is 35 minutes a day heart rate up to relieve some anxiety. Also, to be very careful in that time, even if it's make yourself eat, but that you're eating something healthy on a a regular basis. Our bodies, I I had no idea 
February 2010, I had absolutely no idea how hard grieving was on our bodies. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a whole psychology, biology lesson in itself of exactly how, how the psychic and, and our bodies line up together. And so we've got to take care of both and nur- nourish, nurture both with that. The E is from an emotional perspective. One thing I found in my research under emotional is that the tears of grief contain a totally different biology than any other tears. Hmm. They have toxins. Hmm. The tears of grief contain toxins and absolutely Hmm. must be shed. Hmm. I think that is so interesting. It really is. All the ways our body, I think they contain our stress. Mm -hmm. And another thing that I put under E, I believe that we need to journal and journal whatever journaling looks like to you. It could be music. It could be poetry. It could be drawing. But the example that I use is because jur- grief is so confusing. It just, it, nothing works right in our brains when we're on that, that early stage, beginning stage of grief. And if it's like when you have a stomach virus and everything is churning inside of you, you're thinking, Oh, if I could just throw up, I'd feel so much better. To me, that's what, a journal can provide for us. Everything is churning inside of us during the, the grief journey. And you're, if you could just get it out of you. I mean, I found I write my dreams about Jenny. Uh, I write maybe to her. I write to God about her. I write to God about the event. I may write to my granddaughter things I want her to know. You know, but it's just as all of this is churning, just to have a place for teens. Uh, Malaya just turned 16 last week, and she wanted a journaling Bible. So that she could journal some of some of her truths that she's discovering about God's word in there relationally is that we provide safe people, that we are a safe person, and that we set up moments for our teens to have those relationships. Uh, if it's a young married couple, if it's more teens, if it's another grieving teen, maybe a teen a little bit farther down the road from ours, you know, that we're able to build some of those relationships. And then the S, of course, is spiritually, that we're going to nurture and take care of ourselves spiritually, which sometimes means just holding space for hard questions because we have some hard questions spiritually mm-hmm. in, in there. But I think those are good good coping behaviors that we can kind of, I mean, I go over those in my mind daily, you know, okay, if I taking care of myself physically, am I good emotionally today? How am I? You know, because what I do is show up for other people in my office. And so I'm constantly doing that myself, but I do that with my granddaughter. I do that with my clients that are teens to get them back on, on a healthy path, coping skills. And you'd mentioned the C. Oh, creativity. Creativity. And that is whatever you want to do. I mean, um, if it's the the music, if it's drawing, if it's get watercolors, you know, Mm -hmm. it can be crazy stuff, planting in a garden, whatever would seem, give yourself permission there to do whatever seems good to you Mm -hmm. in in the creativity realm. Mm -hmm. You know, just something you're doing with your hands that kind of helps, um, Fuel and feed your brain. Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, I know, you know, my we went through a couple of miscarriages, gosh, five, six years ago. Um, and, you know, my mother in law, one of the things she did was, you know, give my wife some, uh, some seeds to plant in the garden. Mm-hmm. There's something about that, about as you're going through that, yes. you know, somehow connecting with new life, mm-hmm. you know. And so, yeah, that, that, that brought to mind that time of um, how helpful that was and that creative element for sure. Um, 
So speaking of parents helping kids, um, uh, what can a parent do to help a grieving teenager? Well, so just I, that parental role, yeah. I think the yeah. most important, and I think I've said this a couple of times, but I don't think we can overemphasize it at all. I think model self-care, model you taking care of you. Uh, if it's a breakup, which you're really not a part of, or maybe you're even happy that they broke up, you can still <laughs> model that, model the pain <laughs> yeah. of that. I remember when my heart, don't diminish it. Don't use words like puppy love or it'll go away or don't ever, I'm glad that happened. You're not glad your child's in pain. You know, we want to figure that out. We've modeled self-care, and now we're reaching our hand out to another to say, let me tell you what this was like for me when when I was able to be there. And I think another one that we don't do very often is self-compassion, that we model self-compassion. We model being kind to ourselves um, in the midst of parents to encourage a grieving teenager move slowly Give them some choices because teens feel very out of control Mm -hmm. when the family is in grief. The choices are being made around them, not with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, give them some choices that they can make, too. And and be good with those. Act like they're great ideas. Be good Mm -hmm. with those. Let them settle with those as much as we can give them choices. Oh, yeah. Right. And so kind of going from parents, but to the community as well. Is there something we as a community can do to better surround and encourage and speak life in teenagers? Mm -hmm. I love that question. Again, ask them what it's like to be them. What do you need? Can I pray? Do you mean to pray out loud or would you rather me pray alone? Because I'm going to be praying over you. You know, do you want to hear it? Or do you mean say it by myself? And sometimes kids will go, oh, by yourself, because I don't want to cry. I'll, I'll, and that's great with me, too, you know, that we're able to show up, that we introduce them to any other grieving teen that, that we know that may be a little further d- down the road. Of course, somebody that's doing it in a healthy way. But the most important one is remember the dates. Uh, it means the world to teenagers when we remember birth dates you know, our own, because if it's a parent that you're grieving, all of a sudden you're missing one of the key people that celebrated you. And also remember uh, the person who died's birth date. Remember the death date. You know, if it's just send a note, doesn't have to be, I can't believe your mom died six years ago, but it could be, I'm staying in with you in prayer today. Mm-hmm. We remember, you know, just remember some of, of those dates. And uh, and then I also believe that one of the things we don't talk about in grief a lot but need to are secondary lo- loss, the secondary loss. And that is uh, the role that that person played in your life. Example, if your dad died, who's going to mow your yard? If your dad died, who's going to teach you how to do your bank? You know, because sometimes that that's the daddy's role. Mm-hmm. Not all the time, but sometimes that's daddy's role. And so we need to kind of step in and fill in the gap as the c- community walking beside a, a grieving teen. What are some of the losses that that parent filled the role of? And how can we help? How can mm-hmm. we stand in there and, and do that? Uh, like, example, in our family, we have a friend, one of Jenny's friends, that's a photographer. Well, she remembers Malaya's important dates and she calls Malaya, which Jenny would have called her, but she calls Malaya and says, Hey girl, I hear you're about to be 16. Let's meet and do p- p- 
pictures. And so they meet and do hmm. pictures. And she helps Malaya figure out, you know, you need to bring this many outfits. Because those are things moms would do and say. Mm-hmm. And it's just fill in that that gap. Figure out what's the secondary loss that went along with that and how, how can we stand with that. Such good stuff. So we're running out of time. Okay. We're going we're gonna to wrap up with our two big questions. Okay. We always ask our guests these two questions just to kind of tie it up with a bow, I guess. Um, so first of all, you know, what's the, what's the one thing you want our listeners uh, to take from our discussion today? We talked about a lot of things. But if you said this is the one thing, this is your takeaway, what would you say it is? Give yourself permission to show up with courage and bravery. You don't have to have the right answer. You need to be present. And I think that's what prohibits people from showing up is we're afraid we're not going to have the right answer. And it prohibits because we're afraid we're going to say the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. I think just show up. You can always clean it up. Mm-hmm. But but be be with. Teens need people to be with them. Okay. And then our final question, um, just to wrap up, what is one good question that our listeners can go ask a teenager who's grieving? What's it like for you? I want to hear your story. Hmm. Tell me what it's like. We hold space while they answer that. And if they say, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it. We say, if you ever do, I'm here and I would love to hear your story. Mm -hmm. I want to hear what's going on with you. I want to hear what it's like for you. The Don't Panic Podcast is produced by Teen Lifeline. Your hosts are Chris Roby and Carly Duke with special support from Ricky Lewis. The music you heard today comes from Under the Chandeliers. You can find them on SoundCloud or Spotify. If you want to check out today's notes and resources, visit our website, don'tpanicpodcast.org. Or you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Don't Panic Talk. Finally, here's a word from our sponsor, Lubbock Christian University. Thanks for listening. And remember, don't panic. You've got this. Lubbock Christian University is much more affordable than you might think. I was surprised at LCU's great scholarship packages and that they actually increase each year if I maintain my GPA. Small class sizes and professors who are really devoted to my education made LCU the best choice for me. Now that I'm a student, I've also learned that it's not just about the cost, it's about what you get for your money. Believe. Belong. Be blue. That's Lubbock Christian University. Hey, this is Batman. Stay calm. Don't panic. Ha <laughs> ha.